Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. And we're coming back to one of my favorite subjects, and that is Erie history. And we're glad to have with us here Debbie Lyon. And uh, welcome, Debbie. Oh, thank you for having me. We appreciate it. So uh, uh, you you run the Heritage Room at the library. You have this uh, old-time eerie blog. We'll get to all that in just a second, but we're a family show. We'd love to hear origin stories. Did you grow up here in Erie, or did you transplant at some point? I was born and raised in Erie. My grandfather came to Erie in probably the mid-40s to work at GE. Okay. So that's how we came here from St. Mary's, Elk County, PA. Okay, so coming in up there, uh, what what high school did you go to? Or? Academy High School. Okay, wow. So there's a lot of history there that right, you exactly. appreciate, right? Yes. Um, and uh, and uh, and then how did you get involved? Like with li- like, are you involved with library science or more history? Tell me about the whole that that part of your career. So I work as a clerk at the library. I actually worked as a freelance writer, writing articles about music for Showcase, and then oh. segued into writing about genealogy. For the Sunday paper. I worked at a record store for uh, 16 and a half years. Which one was that? Record Country in Wesleyville. And I was a patron. I was just going to the library as a patron and was always very interested. I used to ride my bicycle down there uh, when I was like 10, 12 years old, go to the arts festival and just became interested in history through people that I met. So this this has become... It was... Your avocation became your vocation, basically. Yes, exactly. So that's super cool, Debbie. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Kind of pers- pursuing, you know, it, but did you have like a, um, you were a writer. So did you like take an English uh, degree in school or? No, what? I graduated from academy and just, okay. I'm going is, on uh, experiential learning. That's fantastic. So. Very cool. Thank you. What, what, were, what, what were your favorite bands back in the day? I guess uh, if, if you're writing for music. The Ramones, um, just Clockwise was one. I saw them at Wilson Middle School. Are you kidding me? Took pictures that uh, wrote about them for the Wilson Citizen, the middle school newspaper. Saw them at the Summer Festival of the Arts. Took pictures. <laughs> I'm happy to be the moon. I can name probably the whole the whole album. Oh my gosh! So I go way back that way. Music was my first passion. So and you, then I you, had to get a real job when our store closed. So yeah. I ended up working at the library. You've got me like stuttering here. That's inc- that's the first time Clockwise has been mentioned on this show since wow. uh, January second. Wow! Um, and what's funny, I was just telling Karen that we're, we we uh, our our Monday show hasn't worked out, so we might do like a brothers show, awesome. and <laughs> I might just have to call Ange and have have him on the hotline here. Unreal. Of He's course, actually been in researching your family. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. yes. Oh my gosh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's talk about that a second about your your real job, you know, which is, you know, the heritage room and people learning their genealogies. So, um, you have, I guess you you, I guess you would have uh, access to more than just like the eerie stuff. Yes. So, if you come to the heritage room, you get a library card for free. You can access Ancestry.com. Okay. You don't have to pay for it. You can come in and, and search worldwide for your family. So whether or not they just lived in Erie, we have addition, you know, We have many resources for Erie 
But if you don't have family from Erie, don't let that stop you from coming to the library. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's amazing how how far back you can go with some of this stuff. Yes. Yes. I mean, we have these family narratives, right? Like everybody does about, I guess it would be our great granddad who was an orphan and uh, supposedly he was left at the stoop of the of the prince and the prince gave him the name of Serpy, which is on my mom's side. And and then there's the lineage that way. But I mean, some sometimes you don't know how accurate these things are, but you know, but you have to do the study to do to learn. Right. Just jot down a few things that you have at home and then come in with that information and we can point you in the right direction to find more about your family, whether you're going backwards in time or if you're trying to do a linear you know horizontal or come forward yeah talk about what you know for many of us some of somebody came over through ellis island or through philadelphia or do you have are there are, are all those um manifests all digitized now for the most part yes so you can go on to familysearch.org or on ancestry.com and look at passenger ship lists and find wow. information and what about like how did how did they how did they recognize who was coming through let's say those ports of entry you know like Ellis Island the the immigration service back in the day i guess so they had a, a ship's list put together so it was from the ship yes from the ship and then they uh, they may have made additional notes on there so you can tell if your ancestor was um naturalized if they became a us citizen okay. there's sometimes are are notations on the passenger ship lists is that where all like the names got changed like when like supposedly somebody would say uh you're gonna spell it this way or you're gonna drop the vaughn or drop the d or i i think there was a miscommunication sometimes so if your ancestor if you think about the accent Mm -hmm. they're saying their name with a heavy accent but i might not hear so i'm writing it phonetically i think that's where things Ah, come into play like that. Yeah, because so. we always like to, you know, blame the uh, the clerk or something like that, right? right? But yeah, it's just two people communicating, and maybe the one person didn't hear mm-hmm. part of the name, and it wasn't left off intentionally. It's just the way we communicate, I guess. So, what in your studies, staying on this line here, did Erie just explode during that time period of of the Great Migration? So there's different times when we find, like, uh, there were many people here for the War of 1812. Um, when General Electric, Electric opened, that brought a lot of people up. Different points in time, you have different events happening. Did so. we have a, a, a post-war migration to Erie? Yes, we did. Um, industries in Erie brought people from the south, brought people from overseas, Germany, Italy. So it wasn't just Detroit. Erie, Erie had... We benefited from that yeah. migration as well. It's interesting to me, Debbie, and, and again, I could be all over the place. I'm trying to... I'll try to stay focused for you. But, um, you know, Erie's popu- Erie City's population peak was 1960, 140,000 population. And and that... I mean, that was just kind of this blip, this, this surge. And then it's been nothing but decline since. As we prosper, I think we look for better or different opportunities as far as our where we want to live. So you come here, you know, make a decent living, and you have choices. Yeah. So if we look at it that way, Erie's not losing 
it's losing population on paper, but there are still so many things to do that you want to live close to Erie. Right, right. And be able to participate in the culture. So. And, and, and obviously uh, the whole idea of the suburbs and Mill Creek really flourished, mm-hmm. you know, yes. post-war as well. We're talking to Debbie Lyon from uh, the Erie County Public Library. If you want to uh, give us a call, 814-679-1080. What made you start blogging? I just had so many things in my file cabinet at home. That's something that I do in my spare time. It's my hobby. Mm-hmm. So I have my nine to five job where I help people all day and then things just come out that I want to explore that I'm curious about. And it, it's mostly like a visually based blog, right? You you scan hundreds of pictures and I love the postcards. They're amazing. Those are neat. And it's fun to try to tell the story and try to put a place, you know, attach an address to it. So that's really fun. And for some reason, it, it, it just was a thing that postcards could be made of just about anything back in the day yes and now we have things on our phones that we don't ever necessarily print or we share with a small number of people but it back in the day you'd have you could buy postcards that were very plentiful Mm -hmm. and find some with your neighborhood and sometimes even your house you could have somebody come and take a picture of it so it's just (laughs) you know yeah you have this professional picture that's in a postcard you could just mail it yes it's fun to search you know online for those things too uh, National Archives has a great collection of them. Okay. And it's just fun to see what ear used to look like and be able to compare compare to what exists now. When we talk about, and again, I know I'm skipping around, but I'm trying to get to like that hundred years ago thing. So, but Erie was starting to prosper before uh, the war, uh, the First World War, and, w- and when GE came, there there were some s- prominent names and some prominent people. In fact, most of Millionaires Row was right before the turn. It would be two centuries ago, right before 1900. Wasn't that isn't that accurate? Or yes, that's accurate. And you have with the Baron family with Hammermill. So you had people that were pioneers in their industries, came to Erie, settled here. In like the 1880s, 1890s. Yes, yes. So post-Civil War, I guess it would be accurate. Yes. And it's interesting also that we used to have industries that were on State Street. Hmm. You know, 17th and State, 12th and State, where you don't think about that area now as an industrial area. So there's been a lot of transition. It's neat to just to look back and see how Erie has grown and how things have changed. You, you look at a place like uh, Hubble Place... Right. I mean, the the massive ringer washer factory. What is it? 14th and French. Um, basically, it, yeah, hold on a second there. Um, you know, it is this humongous building that basically accommodated one production line. Right. Right. That's really neat. And you can see remnants of different things. I think the smokestack is still there. Mm hmm. If if not for that place for level for the business that was next what to was, it, uh, that was wasn't one of the Watson build. I yeah, think that Watson was the Watson building. Thinking. Yeah, yes. But you can see remnants of. Now I didn't know buildings. what the Watsons were into. I can't remember what uh, their industry was. They had a paper like a tar paper oh, and okay. other things. And and that is the Watson of the Watson Curtsy Mansion. I think that is the the that family. Family is somehow related. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Debbie, I want to focus in on just. You know, going back to 1919, we think about it, you know, we're, we would be ending a decade 
10 years, uh, 100 years ago. And uh, it was a, a mon- monumentous decade in, in a lot of great ways, but some really tough ways. So let's, let's talk about the bad news and we'll go to the good news. The Mill Creek flood was that, that decade, wasn't it? Yes, that was in 1915. And so there was a lot of destruction. Uh, I think the water built up around 26th and State Street, built up and built up. I don't know how many feet it was exactly, but then when everything let go, it just wiped out houses. And people have to realize it was like an it was like an open creek, Mill Creek, all the way through from from Glenwood Hills all the way to the the bay. And right, so right Parade Street approximately. And so the the uh I guess there were there was a lot of rain and and uh, you know and some you know, some erosion, so the trees were falling into the creek, and they build up, and then the dam kind of broke, and, and that's what caused a lot of that trouble. Right. Wiped out houses. People died. Yeah. It was it was bad. It was a national story, if I remember correctly. I think I saw clips in the New York Times and New things York Times, like that. Chicago. Yes, yeah. it was all, it was national news. Yes. And and uh, and so coming right out of that, they they had like a feat of engineering. They built the Mill Creek tube. Yeah, that's an amazing, if you think about how much concrete went into there, and it's, it's big enough you can drive a car, well, we can't drive through it, but a car, you know. A car would in fit. In comparison, yes. Yeah, and, and people uh, people need to realize it, it's not a perfect circle. It's actually an oval, and uh, and they they have to maintain that, don't they? I'm pretty sure, Deb. Debbie, yes, that, the city would maintain that, yes. Yeah, they, they, keep, they keep it cleaned out, but a big help, of course, is what is what is now the train uh, the train bridge the train trestle for the the zoo train yes. is the drift the driftwood catcher yes so that that keeps things from going into the stream and floating down into the bay and clogging things up it's amazing what they were able to accomplish back in the day like that you know they just the the thinking of the engineering a hundred years ago is is pretty phenomenal so that was a bad thing obviously the Mill Creek tube. What do you know uh, about how Erie fared during the the what they called the sp- Spanish flu uh, epidemic or the influenza that really it didn't even end until 1920, but it, it devastated. We were reading something on Wikipedia earlier, something like you know 50 million people. I mean, just incredible number of people died nationwide. So you had servicemen at Great Lakes training. Uh, in Michigan, I think that's where it is, coming home to visit, unknowingly bringing the epidemic, the flu epidemic with them. Wow. And it, it touched all families, families of all different social, you know, social and economic strata. So it, it started with the military, basically, probably coming back from the war? Well, they were at the... It, Training for it, oh, in training right, for in training, the war. Okay, right. and there were other sources as well, but people were able to travel more because they were, you know, there were trains, mm-hmm. automobiles were in their infancy, and, and there and, were there were no really any there was there was no um, inoculations back then. No, no. So you're at the mercy of of what's happening. So so just it it just it it, it went through Erie pretty poor, badly. Yes, yes. I'm, if you look in the newspapers, which we have on microfilm in mm-hmm. the Heritage Room, there you go. You can come down and read about that more in depth. So wow! All right, so let's 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 pivot to the to the good stuff. So, um, uh, Erie leading up to 
Matthew Griswold talking to his buddy from Yale, uh, from GE, uh, from General Electric, or, or I guess it was the Edison Electric Company at that point, right? But uh, um, Erie had been growing on a growth pattern, right? There was already uh, a lot of uh, of uh, of industry that was coming, but that that pivotal conversation between Matthew Griswold and his Yaley buddy it it changed the world for for Erie. Oh, definitely. And I think Charles Strong was a graduate of Yale as well, so you had people saying, "Hey, come to Erie. This is a great place. You can get land cheap. Come to Erie and build your factories." Wow. So isn't that amazing just by association? Yeah. It, it again, it could have gone anywhere, right. but it came right. to Erie. Came to Erie. And uh, do we remember like what I mean, it was basically they would outgrown Schenectady, right? They, it was like uh, just another branch, I think, for Erie. Yeah, Erie was a branch. And I think there may have been a strike in Schenectady that may have uh, in, you know, led to this. So, so labor was a part of that even back then? Always, always. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, and, and so, you know, do you, is there any data that you're aware of, of what the original, um, I mean, was it always starting with locomotives or what were the original product lines that they brought to Erie? So one of the product lines, probably a little bit later, would have been refrigeration. We had that here until it was moved to Kentucky. I think, yeah, Louisville. Louisville, yes. Yeah. Uh, that was one. And we actually made munitions huh. here in Erie, you know, at wartime. Right. Um, the gray metal plant is one thing that sticks in my head, one of the early things that was here okay. for, for General Electric. Interesting. So if you look at the different foundries, that's what they were, you know, they were working on locomotives then as well. And, and, uh, and of course, um, Erie was, was one of the original, uh, I'm getting this from when, and when Judy Lynch came, went to uh, the Jefferson and did her, uh, what was it? The, um, the, the economic history of Erie, uh, Erie was one of the first ones to, um, to have the 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 streetcar, the electric streetcar, and so we were we were building uh, streetcars as well. You know, there was there's some of that um, electromotive types of things. That's kind. Of, we always did something with the raw materials. Yes, we were, and Erie was one of the first cities to have electric streetlights, uh, electric fountain in Perry Square, which used to be well, right by the public library there. Sure, sure. I love your sense of humor here, Debbie. Um, one of your most recent posts is talking about Stearns making it rich. You know, of course, Glenn Stearns is the guy from the undercover mil- billionaire, right? But before him was the Stearns Manufacturing Company, who uh, had Im- new and improved circular sawmills. It's fun to, to do a little play on history there. <laughs> yes. so. Making boil. Boy, did we know how to make boilers. We sure did. Boilers for locomotives. We had boilers for every possible use. And Erie was probably one of the best known places in the whole world as a manufacturer of boilers. So steam was kind of our thing, huh? The, um, in the, well, and what's so wild about that too is, you know, we're still making fittings for that, you know, like snap tight and things like that. And, uh, what was the, Gosh, what was the name of the company um, 
uh, uh, well, American sterilizer, you know, things under high pressure and low pressure. You know, I mean, that's kind of where where uh, we we were made known. Do you do you find it interesting? How would you say that the interest in history in Erie is growing as as you've uh, during your tenure at the at the library? I think I think the interest in Erie history is going full steam ahead. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like that. No, it, it, it you know, we we want to know about our roots. We want to know about well, I like to know how things were decided, you know. You know, what was the mindset? You know, what was kind of like the uh uh kind of like the author's intent, you know what I mean? Um uh for example, uh I remember running across an old um, article in the paper. Remember when the paper was doing like a, you know, this day in history kind of thing? They, yes. they, they stopped doing that for some reason. I'm just sure it's a it's a manpower thing. But uh, something about, um, you know, the back and forth between whether or not they were going to annex South Erie. So there used to be a separate town, a separate borough. Right. Up until about 1851 or so. Is that what? how long ago that was? Yes. Okay. So, you know, a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, a couple years ago. So the so the the back and forth was whether or not um, you know, we were going to continue to grow or we were you know, or the naysayers were going to stop the the annexing and It's just amazing to think that 26th Street at one time was out in the woods. Erie Cemetery was way out in yes. the woods. Like 18th Street was like the end of the end of the line for the little town of Erie. Right, and we've just grown and it's just amazing yeah yeah absolutely all right so let's let's go back to the to the 20th century we're talking about like about a hundred years ago um what about world war one did did erie send its its uh measure of troops to the war you know what 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 was some of the kind of the the coverage that you've seen about that war well coverage would be that's all you saw. If you look at the newspaper from what, 1916, 17, 18, that was, there was very heavy coverage uh, telling about where the Erie boys were, who's coming home, who's not going, you know, who isn't, isn't coming home because they passed away. Wow. Yeah. So. And, and did, did Erie boys seem to part, and I know very little about the war, unfortunately, but did it seem like we had, uh, Troops in all the major battles in France and Belgium. Yes, we did, and we have books in the heritage room that show, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know that that list all of the people that participated. Um, there's a Gold Star Mother's book that we have. Wow, uh, it's we've always been very patriotic and been civic minded. So I didn't realize too that we, and especially I think it was around the Civil War, that we contributed a lot of sailors to the war effort. Yes, like, and Erie is known as the uh, the mother-in-law of the Navy because so many men married Erie women, so many men who were in service in the Navy married I did not know that. Erie. Yes. So there, there's a connection in the Navy for... for uh, because because of it coming around here, that's that's astounding to me. And at the library, we have an admiral room, and there are actual admirals from the navy uh, that were from Erie or, or lived, you know, in Erie after they retired. Wow! So that's interesting. 
Um, yeah, our, our connection to the sea, I think, is is uh, is underappreciated maybe by the modern folks. Yes, know? yes. Because you know we don't we don't see those big warships out uh, in our purview. But boy, you go to tall ships and you get oh man, yeah, well, there there you go. You know we used to have schooners, you know, in and out of the bay constantly, hundred plus years ago. And even as as late as like seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty, the U.S. Navy would have ships here in the summertime. Because I, I, I remember going on tours of different ones, and you'd see uh, sailors in their <laughs> dress whites coming up, you know, walking up State Street. I never knew in that. Mass. Yes, yes, that's incredible. I'm trying. Like, where were they? They were just stationed or on their boats or just... They would dock. Uh, one of the big ones I remember was on Holland Street, another one over by the over by the dock. So Wow. I, what, I, and that was just part of their Great Lakes tours? Yes, yes. We need to so. find out more about that because... I know where you can find some articles. <laughs> Boy, in <laughs> your room. room. <laughs> I, I, I do. I need to just kind of get lost. I was saying that earlier in the week, like just getting lost in the microfilms and getting lost in those reference, those reference materials um, because, uh, you, you know, I hate to say that Erie had its heyday because I feel like our, our, our best days are ahead of us, but boy, there were some pretty heady times that we had in the last 100 years. Um, uh, some of the statistics that I found is that Erie at, was at its national peak in the 1930s. I'm talking about population and census. I think in 1930 census, we were like in the top 70 cities in the country. We had that kind of that kind of um, population. In fact, we were more populous than the city of Miami, Florida. Um, but uh, e you know, we were part of the mix uh, economically and uh, in in the in in the conversation of of uh, na the nation. I think maybe the key to bringing the population back is to be very welcoming to immigrants. Mm. Like that's we used how to be. we, that's how Erie was settled. Yeah. And, and again, you were saying that you have all those manifests and things of, of the, of the folks coming in. Um, the, again, some of the old clippings show how desperate some of these manufacturers were to get labor. There wasn't enough labor. Right, and then they brought people over, and like GE had the apprentice program. Hammer Mill may have had a similar program. Uh, GE uh, offered bonuses for men who invented things. Huh. So if you start looking at the patents, U.S. patents, uh, and you put in the word ERI, their term ERIPA is a search term, thousands of patents, thousands of things were invented here. So it's just amazing. Oh my gosh! So. Yeah, wow. Moving forward, um, World War II. Okay. Uh, what can you tell us about, you know, our footing, both, you know, to provide troops to the war effort, but also, you were saying that GE was involved in in making munitions. I know that Lord was involved. Like Lord was basically taken over by the Navy. Um, you know, Hammer Mill was making bazooka tubes, and can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, Blyly Electric, who I think that they're they were at Union Station where it is now. They were making things, so there were government contracts on all all sorts of things. The U.S. Horseshoe Company, 
if you looked at the buildings on 12th and East Avenue that now look very dilapidated, those buildings were played a huge part in industry during World War II. Oh, I didn't so, know that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about like the old Zern uh, works and things like that. Or over on the east side, the uh, Erie City Iron Works. Okay. But just, wow, we, we just were all all in. Yeah. Yeah. As far as production goes. And and we had our own Rosie the Riveters, right? Right, right. So uh, probably there are grandparents, gra- grandmothers of people that are listening today that worked in the factories. So, yeah. yes. Well, and, you know, that's what brought my folks to Erie post-war because they met post-war. My, my mom married my dad, gosh, in 1948. So he I think he'd been out of the service just a bit over a year or so. They met in Eastern PA, but he got a job through Family Connections. Um, They moved to Erie. Erie was like the the promised land for many of those, especially the folks from like coal mining towns out in western, in eastern Pennsylvania, and so on. And my mom was spinning spinning wire on on motors at at GE. That's pretty neat. Well, there's just a a lot of those stories out there, aren't there? Yes, and it would be great to start collecting some of those stories too. So if you want to mention when you stop into the heritage room, mention what your you know how your family got to Erie. That would be really neat to collect. So how do how are you doing that? What's how, are you actually recording things? Are you writing stuff down? Writing things down. So, okay. But if you don't take care to record your own history or to make some effort, it's going to be gone. Hmm. So, it's almost like you you have your own story core over there. Mm-hmm. Huh? Pretty much, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, um, and of course the we can't say enough about like the newspaper microfilm. You have. You have every newspaper on microfilm? Well, we have Erie papers going back to 1820. So, so way we, even we before have, the times. We don't have every paper, but we, right. we have a very good selection. And people don't realize how many newspapers there used to be. Again, 100, 150 years ago, there, there were German papers and there were Polish papers and Italian papers and so yes. on. Yes. So we have a few copies of the German paper on microfilm. But if anyone has loose Italian or Polish or any of the ethnic papers that they want to bring in for us to scan, please do. Oh, do you think that they still have them somewhere in their I'm sure trunks? People do. I'm sure people do. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be neat to see? Oh my gosh, that would be the um, uh, you know uh, again post-war uh, was a boom time, and then it started busting. Um, uh, when when did we start seeing kind of that that, that chicken our armor economically? Uh, was that the sixties, seventies? What you know? What are you what are you seeing there? Thinking the uh, mid sixties, early seventies. By then, uh, manufacturers were closing or moving their facilities out of town. You know, through mergers or or what have you. Yeah, we. I mean, I mean, you think about Mark's Toys, for example. I mean, these are the icons, right? Cyrus Erie. People are still hanging on of what happened to those places. Oh, Griswold. Griswold. Griswold Manufacturing. You know, but when you look at that story, uh, Debbie, Griswold, you know, they had a mixed history as it was and a ton of competition. I mean, it was a, it was a retail consumer product. That's tough. That's a tough business to be in. Oh, definitely. In any time period, yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but I mean, as much as much as Griswold is revered right now, 
I mean, they were just having a hard time making a go of it in a lot of, you know, they had ups and downs in their business. Mm-hmm. You know. It's hard anytime you have any kind of a, a business where you're depending on a consumer mm-hmm. to purchase your goods and you have competition. Now we have overseas competition. and Right. Same, same thing with Cyrus Erie. Basically, they got taken by the Japanese, uh, not steam shovels at that point. They would have been diesel shovels or what have you. We're back to steam. <laughs> right, yeah. We can't get away from that. Well, so. yeah. I mean, Mike Mulligan and the steam shovel. I mean, that's really what the Basiris Erie uh, originated at, you know, that the heavy equipment and stuff. Um, uh, and and then, uh, so now, what, what are you finding that people are most interested in as they come to the Heritage Room? I mean, again, they're doing genealogies. Are, are, do you find yeah, young people doing history projects? I mean, what, what, what are some of the... The research that you're seeing there? Some of the research would be what happened to the industries. Mm. Um, family research has got to be number one yeah. as far as what we get. Uh, people want to know what who lived in their house before them. When was their house built? That's a And big how thing. would they find that out? That's a difficult one. So they would maybe look at city directories year by year and try to figure out who the first occupant was of their house. When did those end, those city directories? So they start in 1853. Wow. And they come out yearly. And we still have them? Yes, we do. What, are they just like on a CD or something like that or? No, they're in book form still. We we like books. No, seriously, uh, who who makes that? There's a company that does that There's a company that still does a city directory. Yes, yes. I mean, that's so. (laughs) They're still going strong, so. And you find those across the the whole country. But Debbie, I mean, I'm I'm literally shocked that so, like my house is in a city directory somewhere. Yes. In the library. Yes. And and actually, somebody would actually buy that thing from from the vendor. Yep, they still do. I'm trying to uh, remember, still heavily yeah. used by businesses. That's so. shocking to me. I mean, because I remember seeing them because you could buy, you know, in the '60s mm-hmm. or whatever, you could buy one, right? For your own personal use or for business use or whatever. Wow, I did not know that that's still going on. I used, um, I used to go to the Chamber of Commerce on 10th and State and look at city directories. Yeah. And go to the library when it was in Perry Square and look at city directories. You can still do that. So. Really something else. Um, the, you know, what, what, what are some of the other re- research? They're talking about who lived in my house, um, you know, uh, you're talking about different industries and different things that uh, started or ended. Um, Presque Isle, people are very interested in Presque Isle. We have a number of resources there. Maritime history, mm-hmm. shipping, uh, shipping through the Port of Erie. Do you remember when they, they were hoping that they would be shipping Volkswagens out of Erie? That that was a Tulio thing? Mm-hmm. Tulio had some great ideas, and he was— able to bring federal money into Erie in incredible sums. Interesting. Yeah. So much to learn at that at that that heritage room. Again, let's go over real quick some of some of your capabilities. You have the microfilms, microfish. What else? Ancestry.com. You can access mm-hmm. that for free. You have the maps, right? Yes, we have an incredible map collection. We have a beautiful display for Minerva. If you'd like to stop <laughs> down and see that. Brand new. <laughs> but yeah, there are many, there are almost unlimited resources. Wow. 
I, I want to research the uh, history of radio in Erie. I mean, Erie had one of the very first radio stations in the country. I mean, very soon after KDKA in Pittsburgh, we had something that was up. So you can do that. We have vertical files, so we have newspaper clippings on the subject of radio, on the subject of television, on many other subjects. You can come in and ask for the file. Wow. Start there uh, to do some research. And then you have to maintain all this stuff? Yes, we do. So librarians mark the articles still. Wow. We clip them out and put them in files. Amazing stuff. This is the art of of uh, library science. It really hasn't changed that much in, in decades, right? No, we're still hunters and gatherers. So. <laughs> Debbie, you were talking about um, that so far of, of the Erie Times uh, newspaper, you guys have, have digitized, what, about 40 years so far? So for the Erie Daily Times, it's 1888 to 1923. And you can access that on through our website with your library card. You wow. can access that for free. It's wow. digital images of the newspaper. That's incredible. And and is part of that of, of, of like indexing those individual headlines or you how does do that key, work? You can do a keyword search. Oh keywords, okay. Yeah. So there's uh it's an OCR text. Okay. And you can go in just like you're doing a search on the internet. Mm-hmm. But you're only searching the Erie Daily Times. That's okay. So, and I would imagine the goal is to digitize the whole thing, right? Yes. So, uh, what would that take? Money. Money. It would take a almost three quarters of a million dollars is to that finish right? that. So that's our goal. So, you, are you doing fundraising, or is it just kind of the the the, the part of the library budget that you're dealing that's, with here? That's fundraising. Oh, okay. So that would be through friends of the library. Okay. They have been very generous to us over the years and helped us to achieve goals of uh, preserving Erie history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, when you think about all of that history that's in that room between the maps and and the, you know, the newspapers and all those directories and all all those manifests and all the, you know, and all the online access to Ancestry.com, stuff that would cost each of us 60 bucks or whatever. So that's the benefit of... Your tax dollars mm-hmm. come down and and use our services. Terrific. What what's uh, what's uh, what are some of your future plans with your with your blog? Is there is there something that you're you're working on right now? Uh, or I mean, again, what where, where do you usually lean in on with the with the blog? Right now, I'm very interested in Jacob Roth. He was instrumental. He's the founder of Roth Cadillac. Okay. He was instrumental in building the Mill Creek Tube. He owned Waldemere at one time. He's just a really, really interesting man. Interesting. So if anyone has something hidden in their house about him, <laughs> let's Co- talk. Co- Kohler is something else too, right? Oh, I mean, yes. Kohler beer and, and Jackson Kohler and all that. There's just so many fascinating subjects. I mean, I could I could work on that for yeah. years to come. Again, I, I, I think it, what's amazing is... Is the images of seeing old Erie, seeing the, seeing you know the parades and you know when when Kennedy came and the Hotel Lawrence. I, I can never get enough of the Hotel Lawrence. I think it's a bitter shame that we lost that building. It's like it's like New York losing Penn Station. You know, I mean that was 
and I'm sure I don't even know how dilapidated it was. I think it was just a a money thing that they knocked that down for. So here's an interesting fact: my godfather, Stanley Rukowski, was an elevator operator at the Lawrence Hotel. <laughs> There's always that one degree of separation in yes, Mary, isn't Yes, yes, definitely, always. <laughs> Debbie, I really appreciate you spending the time with us here on the program. Thanks so much, and uh, we will be down to the Heritage Room to, to do our spelunking, if you will. Excellent. You're welcome anytime. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at talkerie.com.